marketing in general, we've shifted towards a heavy, heavy reliance on technology to tell us what's working and what's not working. And we're actually getting the intuition and the common sense beaten out of us. And so I would definitely say that if anyone out there, I think most people fundamentally will actually understand simple measurements and simple metrics about measuring the success of their marketing campaign, but they don't put enough emphasis on the qualitative side, which is, are you having conversations with your customer? Are you interacting on social media? Are you commenting? Are you seeing what they have to say? This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 874. Today, we're going to be talking with Can Huang from socialwave.com.au about how do you know when your video marketing campaign is working or not. Welcome to the call, Can. Thanks for having me again, James. Mate, this is the most exciting podcast I've done for a long time. The listeners will know that uh, the previous episode, 873, was me recording in my hotel room in a sad and sorry state (laughs) of mental warfare of hotel quarantine lockdown. I am out. I'm released. (laughs) I've I've escaped and I'm in, you know, what I could only summarize as paradise. So I've got palm trees and beachfronts and fresh air. Thank God. So anyway, I just, I wanted to celebrate that with you because I know our listeners go on this journey with me and I want to be super real. This is actually the first podcast recording in the new place. And this is stage one of Studio Build So for the avid videographers listening or watching to this, I will just point out I'm using a USB Rode microphone. I'm using an iMac computer camera, which is fantastic out of the box. I've got a Kodak ring light and that's about it. I'm going low tech today. I still have to set up my really good mic. I still have to set up my really good lights. Oh yeah, I've got one colored light. Of course, you probably see a little bit of a wash over the back. And I've got a couple of sound foam tiles that I still have to install. This is the most important thing. If you plan on using them, and you may remember my previous set used to have them all over the room. Do you remember that, Ken? Yep, yep. Don't glue them to the wall. (laughs) It took me hours to scrape the glue off with a paint scraper, and then I had to repaint the room. It was a major effort. What I've done now is I've got one of the removal boxes, a big porter robe. I've sliced it down the edge. And I'm actually gluing them with liquid nails onto that. And then I'm going to just put that cardboard onto the wall or or around the back of this thing. So let's see if episode 875 or 876 has better sound and visual, but you just get the starting point. Now, why I've talked about video is I know one thing. It's more important to get the video out because the message still overrides, you know, having that perfect planned video in your mind, but never actually publishing it. But a lot of our audience are publishing videos. They've listened to you. They've listened to me. They've done the training. They're publishing videos. Like they went through that sort of starting point where they, okay, I get it. I know I need to do video. They start doing it with whatever equipment, right? You know, what sort of camera should I use? Doesn't matter (laughs) in the beginning. But what we'll find in this episode is there are some really subtle differences between the types of videos you're doing. So what I want to get stuck into is, okay, we're doing the videos We're putting them out there, but how do we know if they're even working or not? Let's get a baseline for being able to understand that and some really hot tips today and what we can implement into our video marketing campaigns. And I'm first in line with my notepad, Ken. I know you're going to drop gold into this episode. 
So where do you want to start? Well, I think it's important to think about, I guess, marketing fundamentals. I think ultimately, whether it's video, whether it's SEO or any other form of advertising, whatever it is, we need to understand, I guess, fundamentals. And so fundamentals, like we can break that down into really four different things. And that's segmentation, targeting, positioning, and messaging. And so I'll go through each one really briefly, but segmentation refers to what part of the audience or your greater audience is who you want to actually create the content for or create the marketing material for. And then only then can you figure out what targeting is, where does that attention live online, where are you going to go after them? And then finally, from positioning and messaging standpoint is what are you going to talk about? And you know, I've referred to it in the previous episode we did, which is talking about pain points, frequently asked questions and knowledge gaps. And so when you string those things together and you apply them to marketing, What's super important for us to understand is whether or not you're actually talking to the people that you want to go after as well. So I think that's the fundamentally the most important place to start, because if you don't get this right, it doesn't matter if you're out there doing videos, or you're doing any form of marketing out there, it's going to fall flat on its face. So you could have a Hollywood blockbuster production, but if you're talking to the wrong audience, it's going to yield no results. I think even Gary Halbert, the classic copywriting legend, he would say that the one thing he would want if he was in any kind of contest for making sales would be a starving crowd. So you've got to know your audience. Let me put you on the spot here, Can. Who is this episode for? Who would you segment in your mind to be listening to this particular episode? I think businesses that fundamentally need to build thought leadership, expertise, and trust. We see that a lot in B2B, but even very commonly now in B2C marketing. And basically, if you're selling a service or a product that requires someone to be educated, to understand what your product or service does, you need to be able to create content in order to do that. And more specifically, in our case, videos to essentially get people from non-buying mode into buying mode, right? Perfect. And when you say businesses, can this apply to you know experts like small time authors who have a you know two VAs and they're still, you know. I guess business like mine, I'm a micro operation in the general scheme of things. You know, I've got a, a small seven-figure business with a primary operator, a little team of supporters. But video has definitely been a really important thing for me. It was so powerful. I even made a little training on this because when I started doing it way back, I was probably even too early. I'd seen Gary V in 2008. I became aware of Gary V. And I thought that makes sense. And I started and then I didn't continue. And then I started again five or six years ago. And then I didn't continue after doing that for a while. And then I started again a couple of years ago now and kept going with that for the most part, doing regular videos every single week and finding my modality. But in that time, that's where I've seen a lot of influencers and thought leaders really sort of grab that limelight and have huge channels. Pretty much everyone in my Facebook feed, it seems, has got one of those YouTube play buttons these days. But one of the interesting things is I know one of the people who got a YouTube play button, and maybe this is relevant to our discussion. This person has accumulated a certain number of views or subscribers. I think it was 100,000 subscribers. And this person creates content that I would say is generally popular, but I know for a fact, because I've been involved in some behind the scenes conversation, does not generate actual sales for this person. It would fall under the bucket of what I would call vanity metrics. So I think this really ties in with the question of how do you know when your marketing campaign is working or not? It probably depends on how you define working. If you would say, does this person feel like a rock star and have an incredible feeling of being needed and significant, then I'd say that it has been successful in that. 
If you're saying, does it help pay off the mortgage or buy groceries, then I'd say probably not, unless you can translate that fame and rock star status into endorsements or sales through an affiliate channel or something. So it does fascinate me. I most certainly have been on the extreme commercial end of video. Almost every piece of content I do has been with intent to transform someone in a commercial way. That's the market I serve. But I'm really interested to hear from your point of view because I came from a world like Mercedes-Benz where a lot of their videos had a specific purpose that wasn't initially dollars, but it might have been to position them as a hero in the marketplace or to make sure they had one up over BMW or that people were so brand driven that it would create loyalty over decades. So, you know, I know you operate much more in the B2B world than I've been with the video side of it. So let's unwrap some of that. Yeah, those are all really good points. And I think the one thing that you touched on, which is that just because the vanity metrics look good, doesn't necessarily mean that they translate into revenue and growth, which is, I would say, you know, 99% of the audience here, anyone who's interested in building a business, that's going to be the one thing that's going to be super important. And so we talk about things like, for example, you know, the difference between leads and sales, right? You can have a lot of leads, you can have, you know, a big email database, but if you're targeting the wrong ones, or if you're not actually having a very solid nurturing process, that they don't necessarily translate into dollars and revenue. And so where video tends to come in and measuring the success of your video marketing strategy fundamentally goes back to understanding the intention of videos, which is you're here to actually create demand you know, you aren't actually marketing necessarily for conversions off the bat. And that's partly because, at least in my experience, working with, you know, coaches and a lot of service-based businesses who needed a lot of, I guess, video content or a lot of nurturing through this process to get people to have demand and generate and actually buy, you know, what they have to offer, that the buying process is actually no longer linear. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I mean by that is, you know, you don't just now run ads or create one video, they click on that, they get to a landing page, they read something, they download this free ebook for you, and then they hit your email list, and then they go and buy. People are way more sophisticated now. And I guess if you and I think about even how we personally buy, if it's anything that's more than say, I want to say maybe $100 or $200, we're definitely going to go out there and we're going to do our research. We're going to go and vet them out. We're going to understand what they do. Can I trust them? You know, are they the experts? And so Understanding where the success in video falls back to actually, like I said, the marketing fundamentals, which is if you can get people to over time, and I have to stress that this has to be measured across a long period of time. I think most people, for some reason, when it comes to marketing, put way too much of a focus on short-term windows. We're talking 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. (laughs) And I think as an example, James, is that if you were measuring the success of your podcast for 30 days and didn't see results, we probably wouldn't be at episode 800 and something and probably close to now 900. Mm -hmm. That is something that I think is a major problem. People need to think more further into 18 and 24 months. I even talk about this in the short video training that I do. When I redid this, I started again three years ago. It took three months until I started to really see that it's doing something. And then when I checked it later, it was like a snowball. I generated like, I don't know, seven or $800,000 by the time I looked at it later. And like, wow, that's because if someone comes into my ecosystem, if they join super fast business and they stay there, which they tend to do, that customer lifetime value is actually gets very high. Or if they come into a higher level program, even more. So I totally agree with you the way people buy. I remember going to Google head office talking about multi-screening. People sit there on their laptop 
in there wherever, and then they'll go to a different environment like watch Netflix and they'll have their iPad. Almost everyone watches TV with a phone or an iPad now, apparently. So we're moving between devices. We're seeing different platforms. I really harnessed this when I was talking about own the race course. I'm like, build your asset, the core asset, and then use these platforms as other people's racetracks that you go and tap into and bring them back to your own place. And videos are what people want to snack on. They want to watch videos. They want to get that total experience. And yeah, talking about the long term, you know, one of the examples that I can uh, think of is McDonald's have that Happy Meal, right? They get the kids in early because they're going to be adults. Imagine how much an average consumer spends on McDonald's, you know, in their lifetime. I know I'm not speaking to everyone in my audience. I got lots of health conscious people who wouldn't go near the joint, right? <laughs> like I very rarely eat it, for example. So I'm not dissing anyone who does, but I'm talking about the average consumer. They probably hook them in early. In fact, I think one of my kids' second words was Coke. He saw one of those red beach balls, a Coca-Cola branded beach ball, and he pointed at it and said, Coke. And that blew me away. I'm like the exposure. Big time agencies understand this. And now we can actually track things. I think in the old days, you really touched on something earlier. The metric in a big agency is how much budget can they spend? I actually know someone, even last year, I was having a conversation with someone and their job when they were running an agency was to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on ads. And the metric they would go back to head office with was how many eyeballs they had. That was the metric. And it stopped there. What do you think about that? I think it incentivizes bad behavior, yeah. marketing behavior. And I think that, you know, when you combine that with the point that I touched on is that everything's measured in short-term windows, it's that marketers in general end up having to defend themselves and their video campaigns and their marketing campaigns based on the quick dopamine hits that you know this sort of stuff does which is like how many likes how many comments how many impressions do we get how many click through rates what's a click through percentage and i think ultimately we worry too much about what happens in between and don't focus enough about what happens at the very end which is what moves the needle and that's how many dollars that end up increasing for the company through marketing efforts and so i think when a lot of big time agencies and even just small businesses right now who don't actually fundamentally understand how to measure marketing, it's to understand that marketing metrics and the way you measure marketing is an imperfect tool. It can't measure everything, but it can measure a certain portion that is mainly proportioned to what I call search intent, which is when someone's done all their research and like you said, with the Happy Meal stuff, they've been in that ecosystem, they know about McDonald's and they've been doing it for a long time. And when they get older, or in this case, when they get to the buying cycle, which is I'm ready to buy now, I'm looking for a solution, they have an affinity to a brand that's probably marketed to them earlier on in that process. So McDonald's is an example, again, is that, hey, when I want something quick and fast and something really simple and reliable, I'm going to go to McDonald's versus the corner shop who's done no marketing. And that's where the direct impact is. Now, how do you measure that? There's no real way to really measure that other than to potentially talk to your customer so look at this from a qualitative perspective, which is to ask questions. Where did you find us? Mm. What do you like about us? Why did you buy? Exactly. Why did you buy? And you know, if we talk about marketing fundamentals, it's absolute empathy and obsession with your customer to understand what message and what content you need to tailor in order for that to resonate with that particular audience so that they become buying customers down the track. Probably no coincidence that that's probably the sort of attributes that Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos have, you know, that understanding the customer. You know, I had a conversation this morning with a client and 
it's really interesting. He deals with the market of people who spend money on marketing. And I said, what result do they want? I said, surely they want sales. He goes, no, they just want leads. It's strange, but they just obsess about leads. <laughs> I'm like, that's fascinating to me. That that's what the success measurement will be for their boss. It's how many leads do they generate from this marketing activity, not how many actual sales ended up from it. So that was interesting. And then I said to my client, who's predominantly in the software industry, or he thinks he is anyway, I said, the metric that he needs to track that would be critical is time to value. How fast can you take that person when they enter your ecosystem in the right buying window to actually interact with you and then get a result? And the shorter, the better. And what we ended up discovering is that they're using words and themes that the customers want to use, but they don't know how to ask properly. I said, ideally, this person starts using your platform and then they generate sales immediately. If you could create the wizard that you pop someone in at the beginning and then they pop out at the end, that would be ideal. Low friction, high reward, and then you can talk about your exponential results component that for every dollar you spend, you'll get $2,000 back within seven days guaranteed. And how easy is it? It's two clicks or it's three clicks or, you know, all you need to do is enter your username and password with a popular CRM platform, click submit, and we'll automatically create the campaigns for you. And like this literally works by itself. Now, the way that he should be telling people about it, I said, is explain that on a video, talk about the problem they're having and explain to them why there's usually 12 steps. And if you miss any single one of them, the whole system breaks down. But that's no longer the case because through all of our research and data and analysis, we've discovered that there's really only two steps that matter the most. And we've incorporated that into our easy wizard setup, like it's two clicks and then it starts working for you. And he's like, yeah, I get it. So he's off to do that. But I think we're at this point where videos are so useful in terms of being able to educate customers. Almost anything you buy now comes with a QR code that you scan and it will give you how to set up videos or onboarding videos. Probably we learned about the thing if we're really observing our own consumer behavior by watching a video at some point in the funnel. So back to the question. We've got someone watching this show or listening to this episode and they're using video. They've heard you talk about quantitative analysis and qualitative analysis. So they're now going to interview their customers. They're going to find out what's happening. They're going to look at it over a longer time frame. What other things can we do? I remember I used to look at the heat maps on my videos and see where people drop off. And then I'd try and edit that to make it clearer to understand. Or where they're rewinding, I know, okay, that's a hot spot. They're really interested in this thing. So either they didn't understand what I said, or I've broken down a framework or something, three steps, and they've gone back to write it down so I could zoom in on that. You can get a lot of information these days from the tools we use. You can, and there's tools like you know Hotjar. There's marketing tools like HubSpot where they can actually track cookies and you can see that entire customer journey. You know, Marketo is a very well-known one. There's a lot. I mean, Active Campaign certainly does a part of that as well. I know a lot of people use our Active Campaign. But I think fundamentally, marketing in general, we've shifted towards a heavy, heavy reliance on technology to tell us what's working and what's not working. And we're actually getting the intuition and the common sense beaten out of us. And so 
I would definitely say that if anyone out there, I think most people fundamentally will actually understand simple measurements and simple metrics about measuring the success of their marketing campaign, but they don't put enough emphasis on the qualitative side, which is, are you having conversations with your customer? Are you interacting on social media? Are you commenting? Are you seeing what they have to say? There's a concept coined by a guy named Chris Walker from Refine Labs, and he talks about dark social which is the concept that these marketing tools out there cannot measure some of these dark channels and hence the name dark. And so we're talking about things like Facebook groups, you know, Slack channels, word of mouth, you know, companies and events, you know, DMs, we're talking about Reddit, we could be talking about internal company communications. And so the success of your videos happens in a lot of these channels. And so I'll give you an example. If you created a fantastic video that talked right to your audience, starving crowd, and they shared it with their internal company to their CEO, and they decided to go ahead with your product and service, can you measure that? You cannot measure that unless you actually had someone go and sign up either to book a demo or a consultation to speak to you. And you asked them the question, you're like, where did you find me? And what was that piece of content that you actually watched or read? You would never be able to do that with existing technology to be able to measure that. And so I guess my point is, is it's not to kind of abandon all forms of marketing technology to measure it because it's imperfect. Do all of that, but also add a layer of common sense on top of that and have conversations with your customers in order to measure that success. It reminds me of my conversation I had with Radhika Dutt, and she was talking about radical product thinking and the trap that a lot of us get into we're the people who have gone through the sort of lean startup methodology is we get iterative. We're just looking at the thing and then seeing a stat or a result and thinking we'll, we'll change this or we'll change that. But we're always focusing around this and not that. So sometimes we need to get out of that. And, you know, for the longest time, I went unoptimized and I didn't worry about the stats. I still don't really look at things like downloads and all of that too much. I don't track likes or that more than every 12 weeks. Right. I only get a snapshot of growth, but I intuitively know because I've published enough stuff now. When people comment on the video or they do a review or they join my membership, which is really the ultimate way that I learn about this, I can trace it back to something that was said or whatever. They almost always say, and by the way, I get every single day in my inbox, someone saying, thank you so much for these podcasts. I really appreciate it. I know you do so much for our community, et cetera, which is lovely. But some of them join my membership at Superfast Business. And when they do that, they say, I was listening to your episode with Can. And it occurred to me, I've been doing videos, but not really going past the surface level vanity metrics. And you said, go and talk to my customers. So I went and spoke to my customers and I discovered that the reason they deal with us over someone else is this thing. And so I put out an offer to my list for that thing. And I sold an absolute, a lot, <laughs> polite way to say. <laughs> a mozza. <laughs> and so that's why I'm here in the membership because I know I got so much value from that podcast that I know that if I work with you closely, then I'll be able to get a result. They'll probably say the same thing to you, Ken. I get emails all the time and I showed you one that I got the other day with permission from a listener who said they were listening to a particular episode. They went and took advantage of the program that I was talking about or the provider of the services and then it got a few others from Superfast Business and it's transformed their world. So you'll get people coming to socialwave.com.au saying, Ken, I heard you on episode 874. It's clear to me that you understand what you're talking about with video marketing. I've got all these campaigns and I've got this stuff and I'm wondering, would you be able to have a look at it and tell me what you see and if there's any way that I could work with you? Is that something they could do? Absolutely. I mean, look, you think about the fact that 
you know, it's all about that inherent understanding that what drives the needle with what you have to say. And so when someone goes and consumes your content, whether it's your own podcast or you've done a video somewhere and they've come to you and spoken to you and said, that was the exact piece of content that I watched before making a decision to either reach out to you or want to work with you, you know that works. Don't worry about the click-through rates. Don't worry about when's the best time to post my videos. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think people get stuck into that stuff and it's just terrible. That's it. What time should I post? Like, oh my God, yeah. I had some guy who says, I'm going to post one video once a week at 8.30 a.m. And I said, why? And they said, oh, I've done a course. They said 8.30 a.m. is the perfect time to send a thing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, probably a lot depends on what's on the video. I'm like, what sort of video am I making? Who are you making it for? You know, what do you want them to do after they watch the video? Is there any reason you can't do one a day? Uh, so I just like I went on to uh, an extended version of interrogation and we came up with uh, that they were probably just working off some parameters that was a starting point, but it certainly almost certainly won't be where they end up approaching it. So tell me, is there a magic solution to what we can put in place? Would there be a framework that we could write down or a checklist that you'd want to see if you went into an account if I opened up my accounts to you, Ken, if I said, here's all my analytics, here's all my metrics, here's our video stash, here's the numbers, here's what we're doing, here's the topics, what would you be looking for? Awesome question. I would say- Boom, that's my podcast metric. That's you. <laughs> if we don't get that, I've failed. <laughs> so I would definitely, if you, if you were to open up the supposed war chest for me to come in and see exactly what metrics to look for, the first thing I would look for is, if we're talking about video specifically, is video views. Now, that can be a vanity metrics, but that is definitely also a gauge to understand whether you know people are even actually consuming your content. Now, if no one is viewing it, then we've got a problem. We've either got two issues. Number one is that your videos are not drawing the right attention, so it's not in front of the correct audience and they're not consuming it. The other half of that could potentially be that you have a messaging issue if you've been doing this for quite some time. And people aren't interested in what you have to say, in which case we have to go back to the drawing board and understand whether or not you have not done enough segmentation, targeting and positioning and messaging there. So that's number one. Could it be a distribution issue as well, like you're in the wrong channel or you don't have any audience? Absolutely. I mean, like, let's take, for example, LinkedIn. You could be posting videos about talking to, let's say, property investors, right? Now, LinkedIn's a B2B platform. How do you define property investors? There are many who aren't and there are many who are. And so can you define that in LinkedIn? Maybe, maybe not. But then let's say if you wanted to target accountants, well, then the ability to go and connect with accountants and to build an audience there becomes much easier. And so definitely, I think 100%, I think that's where the diagnostic approach comes in, where we have to understand where it's falling over. And then whether or not that metric is a lagging indicator, meaning is it something that's representing a bigger problem or a root problem that we need to address? So that's number one. Number two, if I were to go in and have a look, it would be primarily around how many leads you're generating and then what proportion of that is becoming sales, right? So if you have a very poor conversion rate, that likely tells me that, again, you probably have a targeting issue. You may be attracting the wrong audience. And then you're trying to you know, basically push these people through a pipeline and try and get them to convert, right? As an example, I recently actually worked with a business that they were generating thousands and thousands of leads every single month right, through their video marketing. And when we came on board, I believe they were attracting roughly about 20 to 30 confirmed sales a month. And what happened was we changed their strategy. We improved their, I guess, their video marketing messaging, and we made some adjustments, like I mentioned. 
And what ultimately happened was their actual lead flow, meaning the number of leads that they got every single month reduced by 50%. So they actually had about 5,000 as opposed to 10,000, but their number of sales actually increased threefold. And that goes back to saying that, hey, you're looking at the wrong metric when you worry about leads. I mean, you mentioned the fact that like, for some reason, business owners want leads, but they don't want sales. That makes absolutely no sense to me. And that is a classic example of what's happening. It means someone's measured on leads and not sales. That's a classic reward what you want failure. It's like a lot of organizations have this dumb thing where they like spend your budget or you lose it. Yes, especially in corporate. Yeah, God bless corporate, but it's still, <laughs> it's like crazy, right? Yeah. As a small business owner or a micro business, as we would be called, I like to spend a dollar to make a dollar back or more, preferably. I don't like to lose a dollar. So I want to have some ability to have it. And so even if it's intuitively, I want to know, is this a good idea? Like, for example, the beginning of this year, I was spending some money on Facebook ads, probably seven months worth of ads and not much, you know, not tens of thousands per month. And I intuitively knew that my list was growing substantially and that that would harvest later down the track. And sure enough, when I do some kind of an offer, I've now got a lot more people that will see the offer because they're on the list that weren't there before. So I've pre-purchased reach and then I match them up with an offer. All I've got to make sure is that it lines up sufficiently with the reason they got on that list in the first place. So whatever the reason they got onto my list, they put their hand up and said, yes, please send me information. Whether it was my free book or whether it was something else, I've got to make sure it's in the wheelhouse so that's relevant. And then I'll actually harvest that. I've already made the money back anyway, which is great. I can even see that in some of the tools that I use. It looks like for every 10000 that I spend, I make $100,000 back, which is a really good return. And I imagine that's going to turn into a lot more over time with that snowball. But at the same time, I'm not ready to spend 100000 a month on ads because I don't think I've got capacity to fulfill at the high quality that I do right now with the way that I service my clients. So it's funny, I call this the marketing capacity seesaw. Sometimes the wrong metric is going to drive up your costs, but you can't harvest it. So I know plenty of people who just don't have team or don't have the ability to fulfill. If I dropped 100 hot leads in their lap, they'd actually burn 98 of them and sell two. <laughs> so, so that's the other challenge is make sure that you're ready to receive all the good stuff that comes from CAN's audit. So you've gone into my stuff, you've had a look at the views, you've checked the messaging and the positioning. What else are you going to do when you get access to it all? Well, I think the ultimate metric that everyone's looking for is cost per acquisition, cost per sale. And so, you know, you need to essentially look at it and go, if I spent this much money across, say, a year, and I made this much money, just like you alluded to, the goal is to always make more than a dollar for every dollar that you spend. Yeah. You've got a problem if you are spending a dollar and then making 80 cents off that or less. It's a major issue. You've got to factor costs too, right? Cost of goods sold. Like you really want your dollar to end up being a dollar profit. Absolutely. And look, cost per acquisition is the ultimate thing. And I call it just rising tide. Some, I mean, this whole episode's a very meta. It's that we talk about having a real obsession with your customer and understanding where their pain points are. I got asked this question a few times this past week. This is why we're doing this episode. And so if you inherently understand basically that if you were to do this marketing activity, and it would result in increased sales, you're probably on the right track. Bring some intuition, bring some common sense into it. Don't over delve into the metrics because the metrics can really lead you down the wrong path. And so 
cost per acquisition, which is calculated by how much am I spending on marketing versus how much I'm making and the average of that, try and keep that and bring that down as much as possible. I mean, guys in the ad space, like your Facebook ads guys or Q ads guys, that's what they're obsessed with. But sometimes they focus too much on it. And they're matching it up to the customer lifetime value. Exactly right. You know? Exactly. So ideally, you can acquire a customer for less than what you actually earn in terms of profit from that customer, and then you can turn it up, turn up the heat, and you can scale very quickly if you do that. I'm wondering, have you seen a particular type of video campaign that always fails or that always wins? I wouldn't say I've seen one, but I think the biggest variable for success with videos is the actual performance of the video, if that makes any sense. It's the person in front of camera and how genuine and real they are. Oh, like the theatre of it. The theatre of it. The believability. It's like when I'm watching a TV show or Netflix or Amazon Prime or Apple, my acting coach, which I had when I was 18 and underconfident, you can tell I'm underconfident, right? (laughs) Alan, I really recommend this acting classes. If you're a professional on camera, get acting classes. You'll come out a bit. And basically the test he would say is, do you believe this character? Like, are you so invested in them that you believe that this person is real? Or does it seem like someone's an actor pretending to be that person? And the shocking thing to me is as a podcast host, occasionally I used to get a guest who would, I'd be chatting to them. We'd like, we'd hook up on Skype back then. We'd have a little preamble about the episode and we'd be chatting. And then I'd hit record and then another person would appear. In front of my very eyes, it'd be like some completely different character. That was their stage persona. It's like, hey, whoa, you know, I'm like, that's not the person I was talking to 30 seconds ago. And they shift. And it's like a lot of the online marketers. These are like solo operators with one VA at home in bare feet and board shorts like I am now, but all their stock photos and website stuff's in black and white suits with bow ties and cigars and champagne. I'm like, who the hell are you trying to kid here? What happened? We went from Bogan to James Bond. (laughs) I think more than ever, you get rewarded for being real, for being yourself. And I would say, and this is really interesting, that will be the number one feedback I get from people, those people who send me emails. It's like, I just like how you keep it real. I'm just me. I'm me on camera, off camera. The reason I wanted to do acting was I wanted to understand how to be a better communicator and not shy. And if I can help my message get across in a more clear way, so that helps me. Like That's why I'm able to do one-take videos when other people stumble and stutter and need to get an auto cue because I've done so much practice. And over time, you get really comfortable with it. But I want to be able to communicate well Because communication is such an underrated skill. People don't realize this is going to help you with your team. It's going to help you with the customer. And I'm hearing from you, Ken, for the first time that the believability and the theatrics of the person on the camera is going to make a big difference. And that doesn't necessarily mean polished, by the way. In my mind, if you see someone who's real but imperfect, that can really build a lot of trust as well. And God knows I'm not perfect, so I'll put myself in that. The episode before, 873, I'm sitting on the floor of a hotel room with an iPhone and my daughter running around just recording the moment because it was an important moment in my life. 
Yeah, big time. And what I was going to say was we're in an interesting period now where you look at the growth of channels like TikTok, you know, YouTube shorts, Instagram reels. None of this stuff is high quality production. It's very raw. It's very real. And I think video content is now making a big shift towards that. And it's really ironic because I run a video marketing production agency. We're all about production quality and that sort of stuff. But even for us, we can't ignore the trend that's moving towards more raw and real content. And I think where I kind of wanted to allude to around performance has to do with the fact that you can no longer front up in front of a camera and read out a premeditated script and just say what you need to say. Like if that's disingenuous, people see through that sort of stuff. And you need that sort of intimate one-to-one. I mean, YouTubers probably do the best if you watch guys like Peter McKinnon and Casey Neistat. They're just talking to you and you only. You know, it's like you having a one-on-one conversation. Well, I mean, a classic, if you want to see a script run through, watch any news with a politician. Absolutely. They've had a speech writer or team of speech writers prepare the crap out of that thing. They have to be super structured about what they do and do not say because it will be, you know, recorded and played back endlessly if they <laughs> do a faux pas, like all the funny politician videos that we see. They are a classic case of you're not seeing the real person there in you know, 99% of the case. And it's fascinating to me. Like almost nothing brings out such annoyance in me as watching a scripted politician dribbling crap out of their mouth that you know is totally ingenuine. And that's like the benchmark for crap. And then the benchmark for high integrity is, yeah, like you said, those reels and stories, that's people being real in their real environment and it's gravitating. It's like the explosion. This is a revolution. We have been talking about this for years on this show with professional videographers about the shift. Like you used to need hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment to pull off a marketing campaign that's video oriented. That meant expensive. Now, you know, my team said to me the other day, James, when you make videos on your iPhone, can you just click on 4K? And it does 4K in selfie mode. That's mind-blowing. Yep. The quality of an iPhone now with 4K selfie mode, motion stabilizer and everything is just through the roof. Like we can make movies with the thing that's sitting in our pocket. That's right. It's all about that. That's no excuse is what we're saying here to creating content. And what we are saying is if that's the right segment that you're talking to with the right message and you've got a reasonable time frame to assess if it's successful or not, that could very well be a good starting point. And then talk to the people who are watching it, understand if it's hitting home and see if it's lighting up the sales card at some point down the track and ask people why they bought. And often they'll say, I watch your show or I listen to your podcast. And video podcasts obviously gives you that opportunity for micro snippets. I'm recording this particular episode on just an iMac. That is what you get out of the box and it's not bad. That's right. I think technology is not an impediment anymore to creating videos. And I'll tell a really short story is that when I first got into video marketing, I had a lot of trouble measuring the success of videos. And I remember this one client, he was like my one of two clients, I had two clients at the time and was just figuring it out on the fly. And we did videos for, I want to say the first 12 months. And honest to God, I'll tell you what, imposter syndrome, I wasn't sure if it was working or not. And part of that was because I was just a marketing guy. I was the video guy. And I wasn't inherently in the business, meaning I wasn't the guy taking the sales calls. I wasn't the guy talking to the customers. All I was seeing was the metrics on the other side about who books in a call and who clicks and watches the videos. And so I remember talking to this particular client, and I think it was about six months in, and I asked him, I said, 
is it working? Are you sure it's working? And he just very nonchalantly looked at me and nodded his head and said, it's working. (laughs) And I said, well, how do you know? How do you know it's working? And he said, you know, because you talk to people, people tell you things, people give you feedback. They say they watch this. They understood, they felt like you understood them. And I think you mentioned about storytelling. I think, you know, how people, I guess, buy and how people decide to go ahead and choose particular businesses and products and services is just, it boils down to how well you know your customer, whether or not you're talking to them directly. And so if you can address that, like we did with this particular client of mine, where he was actually talking about those pain points and it was he was feeding a starving crowd, it worked out for him. He knew without looking at the numbers that it was working. And so that was the first affirmation for me where I realized I was like, right, this works. But nothing on any of the measurements that I was seeing, whether it was software, whether it was any metrics, could tell me enough about that other than being in the trenches and having, I guess, both the intuition, the common sense, and then fundamentally seeing the numbers grow in terms of revenue to believe that this is working. I think that's really an important takeaway for everyone to realize. Sweet. Man, you've been generous again. I won't hold you up too long, but I will ask, can you come back and talk to us about more video stuff in the future? Absolutely. would love to. All right. So if... What can people do as a result of this episode? Obviously, they can get in touch with you, can, socialwave.com.au, and ask you about their video marketing campaigns because you've been doing it for a while now. Yes. Yeah, we've been doing it for about three or four years now. For some serious customers, like, I don't know if you're allowed to mention, but some of the customers you deal with are, like, big. Big, big. I can't disclose NDAs, (laughs) but uh, really big, you know, let's just say one of the biggest beverage companies in the world. We do video for them. And look, really, I think at the end of the day, it boils down to three things. I think if you're going to get anything away from this episode, it's number one, consistency. Do this over a long period of time, right? And don't have any major expectations, right? Just go in and have an inherent crack at it and put in the reps, right? You can't read about the push-ups, as Gary Vee says, you have to do the push-ups. So that's number one. Number two is have a real good obsession and empathy of your customers. Know what it is that they need to hear that you help them with teach them the what and the why and create video content on a consistent basis with that. And then number three is when you start getting these leads. And if you do the first two right, you'll start getting leads and you'll start getting people inquiring for your business services or products. Ask them the question, whether it's in a form and say, how did you find us? What was it that you consumed? Or when you do that sales call, that book, that demo in and you talk to them and you go, what was it that helped you make that decision to go ahead with us? And use that and feed that information and add that to your understanding of your customer. And that stuff snowballs and you become better and better. And what that ends up doing is that should formulate and inform you for the next lot of videos that you do, just like what I'm doing now, what you're doing, James, which is every month you do training inside Superfast Business, all the topics come from what feedback you're hearing in the membership and on the podcast. Same with me. I get questions throughout the week about how video marketing works and then in turn create content according to that. And it's just this cycle that goes over and over again. So I think those are the three takeaways that I'd like everyone to remember. You can't go wrong talking to your customers. My customer I was talking to this morning, he said, I just realized I've got access to all this data. You know, we see all the data. I should be using the insights from that more. I said, yes, you're a data intelligence company. You're like Facebook. I said, I'm like Facebook in a way, except nice. <laughs> but a mini version, I'm like a, I'm a higher priced micro version. I speak to hundreds of people. I gather information from hundreds of sources on a weekly basis. And then I find the trends and patterns and the best practices, the things that are working. And I share that with the paying subscribers. My audience create the value for each other. So I feel like I'm just a facilitator in some ways. 
but I have to moderate and make judgment. But when I'm making content, I'm always doing that from that base. When I get the feedback, oh my God, that was exactly what I needed to hear right now, then I know that that's working for me. So Ken, thank you so much for sharing. We'll get you back. Pleasure. I love what you're doing there and uh, appreciate it so much. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. High five. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.